Uh, very thankful <clears throat> to have the opportunity to be back with the church at Bethel. You know without me saying uh, what this church has meant to me and uh, the entirety of my life, even to this very moment. Um, very thankful for each of you. Uh, thankful for your faithfulness and uh, uh, ask that you continue to pray. Um, I was a little taken aback by the announcement this afternoon. Uh, not sure if I like it that way or if he'd have turned around at that last song and said, you're up. I don't know. Um, but either way, I need your prayers. So uh, you pray that the Lord uh, would be praised and that his church would be edified. <clears throat> um, not only that, <laughs> but I... Um, I've had a subject on my mind that <clears throat> I've not preached in this manner before, um, and uh, it's it's the only thing that's on my mind. So what I know to do with that is to preach, and if the Lord bless, we'll be blessed. <clears throat> um, I spent probably two years on Abraham, right? Sister Carol, I spent a lot of time on Abraham. She... Uh, reminds me of that every so often, um, but I want to talk a little bit about Abraham this afternoon, but in a in a way that, like I said, is is at least in my mind somewhat unique. Um, there were four altars that were built by Abraham. Um, Two of them in the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis, one of them in the 13th chapter of the book of Genesis, one in the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis. And the life of Abraham itself is, is a miraculous thing to be able to read, not just from a narrative standpoint to see everything that happened to Abraham in uh, those 11, 12 chapters of, of Genesis, but to read it from the perspective that I believe the Apostle Paul read it uh, when he references it in the fourth chapter of the book of Romans. Uh, he attributed to Abraham a level of faithfulness that I don't believe the Apostle Paul attributed to anyone else. And I don't believe the Apostle Paul is saying Abraham was so good that uh, he just had all this faith and he was better than anyone else. I don't think that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. But I believe the Apostle Paul, through divine revelation, realized that the example that God provided us through Abraham was a lasting example that didn't just end when Abraham died, uh, but it continued on. And if you have the opportunity, I encourage you to go read the fourth chapter of the book of Romans. What an uplifting, edifying, enriching, and encouraging chapter that Paul wrote, and it's basically all about Abraham. Now, he built four altars. <coughs> uh, Genesis chapter 12, he went to a place called Shechem, and he built an altar there. And then I think in the very next verse, he leaves Shechem and goes south and builds an altar at Bethel. Then he leaves Bethel, and he goes back up north uh, for a bit, and he builds an altar at Hebron. Mamre, I believe, is the actual name of the place, but it was in Hebron. Then lastly, he heads south uh, from that just a little bit, and he builds an altar on a place called Mount Moriah. 
each of these have had significance in the life of Abraham. And I'll submit to you this afternoon that each of these have, has significance in our lives today. Now, I'm not, I don't want to get caught up in, in you know, where these places were geographically. I, can, uh, I, ha- I, prob- I have a really hard time in, in, if I paint a picture in my mind and I can see it in my mind, I put a map of Israel up and I start pointing that out, to try to get that to, over to you to, that it makes sense would be a complete waste of time, Brother David. So just take my word for it. And if you don't want my word for it, go find a map of Israel and you can find where these places are. And I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the historical aspect of these places outside, excuse me, outside of what the Bible says. And I really want to look mainly at two. And you would think that Moriah would be one of the two, but it's not. It's not. Now, I believe it's fitting that Moriah was the last one, right? Uh, I believe the Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 13 says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. And I believe that last altar there on Mount Moriah is the altar. And it certainly points to, it was the altar in the life of Abraham, but it points to the altar in our lives. Um, I'm going to really struggle to stay away from Moriah, so um, you pray. I want to talk about... Uh, <coughs> excuse me, the altar <coughs> at Bethel and the altar at Hebron. Because <coughs> both of the impacts of these in the life of Abraham was significant. Now, it's no, it's no, um, it's no mistake or, uh, I'm not mistake. it's no coincidence that as soon as Abraham gets into the place where God said, I'll show thee, that he builds an altar at Shechem, Right? Now, if you go read men's writings, they'll talk about, uh, if I remember this, they'll talk about that, that in, in order of being built, the altar of praise, the altar of prayer, the off, off, altar of peace, and the altar of providence. I'm fine with that. That's okay with me. But I see so much more than praise, peace, um, I'm sorry, uh, praise, prayer, peace, and providence in these four altars. And I think scripturally it'll bear out, especially with regard to Bethel, uh, and to Hebron. Uh, so we'll leave off Sh- uh, Shechem. Let me just say this about Shechem. The only time you see Shechem mentioned in the New Testament, it's, it's spelled Sychar or Sikar, and the only time it's mentioned is in John Gospel of John chapter 4. It's where the woman that came to the well lived. Now, there's some meaning behind that brothers and sisters, Um, but just like we're going to try to stay away from Moriah, we're going to try to stay away from uh, Shechem or Sikar. The second altar he built was just after that, and he was built at Bethel, and Bethel is the house of God, right? The house of God or the house of prayer, that's what Bethel is. And then, uh, a little bit later, in the 13th chapter, after Lot and Abraham decided to go their own ways because of the problems they had, there was an altar built at Mamre of Hebron. So those are the two that I'd like to take a look at. Now, I think what's interesting is you can find uh, Shechem in the New Testament. Obviously, you can find Mount Moriah in the New Testament. But Bethel and Hebron are not mentioned in the New Testament, if, if I'm not mistaken. 
But it doesn't mean that they don't have an application in the New Testament that we experience today. So, Bethel. What's special about Bethel? It is the house of God or the house of prayer. There's uh, so much to be said about this altar that Abraham built at Bethel. So much so that years later, a young man by the name of Jacob wandered his way into the very same place where Abraham built that altar. And that's in the 35th chapter uh, of the book of Genesis. You can go read it. And it's there that he wrestled. Uh, with a man all through the night. Isn't that where that was? I think that's what that was. <clears throat> well, let me go turn to it. Because there's two experiences of, of, of Jacob there. One was the ladder, and one was the wrestling. I think Genesis 35 is the wrestling, is it not? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Brother Dave. Genesis 35, verse 9, And God appeared unto uh, Jacob again, and God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. And God said unto him, I am thy God, and this is the land I gave to Abraham, in verse 12. And the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, to thee I will give it. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked uh, with him, even a pillar of stone, and poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured uh, all oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. Now that was, yeah, the next time I think he wrestled with the angel and he called the place El Bethel. El Bethel, which means God of the house of God. Now that's interesting, right? Remember prayer and praise being the second one? That's interesting. It's not just the house of God, but Jacob was so impacted by his experience with the Lord uh, twice at that place that he called the name of the place El Bethel, which is God of the house of God. Now that's really interesting, right? Now you can carry that, <coughs> you can carry that forward. And we realize when Jesus Christ during his ministry goes into the temple and drives out the, uh, the money changers, uh, he says, my father's house is a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves. So we realize as we progress through this, that we're talking about the house of God and not just the house of God, but the reason why the house of God is called the house of God is because there is a God of the house of God. That's a critical piece in understanding this. So you would think, you would think, you know, logical man's mind, at least the mind of Mark, that Bethel undoubtedly would become the place where the capital of Jerusalem, capital of Israel would be established the place where the temple, Solomon's temple would be built, uh, the, you know, all this. But it's not. It's not. There's another place where the capital of Israel was established, and that was in Jerusalem. And there's another place where the, the temple of Solomon was erected, and that also was in what's called Jerusalem. More importantly, that was on Mount Moriah. It became known as the Temple Mount, right? Became known as the Temple Mount. But here's Bethel, and Bethel means the house of God, but it's not where the temple of God was built. Now that has an impact on me, I, I believe, of the scripture showing us through Abraham that he set up this altar at Bethel, and he offered praise unto God, and that all these years later Jacob shows up, and God reminds him, hey, this is the land that I gave Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob, I'm giving it to you. 
Now that wasn't uh, an alteration of God's mind based on the life of Abraham and the life of Isaac and then the life of Jacob. No, God, when God called Abraham out of the land of his fathers, he says, Go to a place that I will show thee hereafter, and it shall be an inheritance unto thee and to thy seed. So it didn't have anything to do with <coughs> Abraham's willingness to go out. But I'm telling you what, Abraham's faith drew him out, if you will, at the sound of the voice of the God of all glory. Abraham's faith brought him uh, to a place called Shechem where he built an altar. Abraham's faith drew him to a place called Bethel where he built an altar. Abraham's faith drew him to a place called Hebron where he built an altar. And I submit to you, my friends, that the God of all glory called him out one more time uh, to go from where he was to a place that God would show him in a place called Moriah where he would offer up Isaac as a burnt offering to God. The movement of God in all of this is not by mistake. It's not happenstance. It's not based on uh, what Abraham did or what uh, Isaac did or what Jacob did, but it's what God foresaw. It's what God's will was. It's what God's purpose was in the lives of these men, and I submit to you in our lives as well. The house of God is not in Jerusalem now, understand what I say here. Our home base as primitive Baptists is not in Jerusalem. Our home base as primitive Baptists is not in a place that the world calls the Holy Land. There's nothing holy about it by virtue of it being where it is and what it's called. The temple was built on Mount Moriah but the first altar of praise was at Bethel. And it was amplified by Jacob's experience there. One of the latter and one of the wrestling. It was amplified by his experience. And it amplified Jacob in his faith when he said, This, is, this place I'm going to call the God of the house of God. The house of God in and of itself tells us whose house it is, right? But Jacob wanted it. He wanted it above and beyond any doubt of whose house it was and whose altar that it belonged to. It belonged to the God of the house of God. And I believe that because that first altar was built, I'm sorry, the second altar was built at Bethel and it's the house of God and it's not at Jerusalem, shows us. That God's providence is with his people even to this day. That when we assemble ourselves together in a place called McMahon, Texas, in a church house that's known as the Bethel Primitive Baptist Church. Bethel Primitive Baptist Church. Maybe that, well anyway, the Bethel Primitive Baptist Church, whether it was named Bethel or not, it becomes the Bethel of God. It becomes the house of God. Not because of the brick and mortar, not because of the, uh, the drywall in the windows, not because there's a sign out front that says it's the church, but when the saints come together like we have today, and in the blessed grace of an almighty God and through his spirit, like Brother Mike prayed, that the very Lord of glory himself comes and sings praises unto the Father in the midst of the church, then it becomes Bethel unto God. Then it becomes the house of God. <laughs> and it becomes our Bethel as well. Yes. 
People talk about, oh, that's a Bethel spot to me. Well, Bethel is a Bethel spot to me. But you know what, Brother Jeb? Pilgrim's Rest is a Bethel spot to me. Uh, you, the first church, Bethel spot. <laughs> Little Vine, Bethel spot. I mean, y'all can start naming them off. They're Bethel spots. Why is that? Because an altar has been built there, and the Lord is worshipped there, and those folks know who the God of the house of God is. It's like Ruth's uh, uncanny knowledge that God blessed her with. When she told Naomi to stop telling me to, to walk away from you, because I'm not going to do it. And she says, Where the, wheresoever thou goest, I will go. Wheresoever thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Why? Because he is the God of the house of God. Ruth was blessed to see that. I tell you what, Abraham was blessed to see that it was the God of the house of God when he established that place and called it <coughs> Bethel. And that's what we have today. We have the house of God today. We have the experience of that today. The Lord Jesus Christ, like I said, referred to it as my father's house. There's no doubt whose house this is. There's no doubt who built this house. It wasn't built by men. It wasn't built by Abraham, brother Mike. It wasn't built by Isaac or by Jacob. But an altar was erected. And that also tells me that we've got altars we ought to be erecting in our lives. Not made of stone, but in our hearts uh, in praise and honor unto God. Why? For what He has done for us and to give us the opportunity to do for Him the best that we can do. I tell you what, I fall short so many times in my service unto the Lord. Uh, But sometimes I feel like by faith, it's just the best that I can do. It's like that woman that had two mites when, he, when the Lord said, all these folks are throwing in their tenth, and she threw in all that she had. I'm telling you what, I like to think of it this way. The Lord doesn't want your money. The Lord doesn't want a tenth of you. The Lord demands all of you, my friends, in service unto him. To the extent that the Apostle Paul says, uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's what we do in our lives Living sacrifices unto God. A living sacrifice unto God. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he asked uh, uh, his apostles, uh, whom do men say that I am? And uh, they said, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Isaiah, and whatever else. He goes, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. The son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Jesus called that out on Peter. You're a blessed man. Jesus wasn't surprised, but he was letting Peter know just how blessed Peter was. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it i mean i don't need to but i feel like i have to say he's not saying peter i'm gonna build my church on you no why would the lord do something like that it wouldn't be much longer and then the lord be calling him satan right get thee behind me satan don't go to jerusalem get thee behind me why are you standing in my way satan 
Why would the Lord build his church on something like that? No, but it goes back to something greater than Peter. Mm -hmm. Something greater than me. Something greater than all of us, my friends. And that's the revelation of God Amen. that his his, that his son is uh, his church is built by his son his church is built on his son he is the chief of the corner that the builders rejected he's the foundation of all that's what he was saying <clears throat> but he said uh, upon this rock will I build my church brothers and sisters wherever the, the Lord's people congregate together is where the church is represented it's where the altar at Bethel is built. It's where the altar at Bethel is used for praise unto God, unto the God of all glory. The apostles <clears throat> were given such a measure of grace in their apostolic, uh, in their apostolic ministry <clears throat> there in the book of Acts and in the letters of the apostles. They were given such great authority uh, and miraculous uh, uh, works that were bestowed upon them by Jesus Christ. For the establishment, I shouldn't say that, for the perpetuity and the growth of the church of Jesus Christ. Church was established by Christ. He built it. He set it up. And, and might we say, he set it up exactly the way it needed to be set up. I believe when Abraham built the altar at Bethel, he built it exactly the way it needed to be built. And I tell you what, I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he set up his church during his ministry, he set it up exactly the way that he, that he had purposed it to be set up in that New Testament understanding. I believe he set it up with everything in it that it needed to be in it. I don't believe he set it up for the, the, so that things could be added or taken away later. I don't believe there was a stone removed from the altar at Bethel uh, when Jacob got there. I don't think he tore down Abraham's work and rebuilt it. I think he built his own altar right next to it. He said, there's Bethel and here's the God of Bethel. <laughs> I'm telling you what, the Lord doesn't need anything added to it. The Lord doesn't need anything taken away from it. Uh, and if you want to get me fired up, is, is let me hear about you trying to add or take away something from the Lord's church. Because this is Bethel, my friends. This is the house of God. There is no other place besides Bethel. It's the only place, my friends, uh, what that can be called the house of God. And like I said, established here or wherever it may be. When we come together uh, as the saints of God, as the ecclesia, if you will, and we, uh, through prayer and humility, offer up praise, honor, and glory to God, it becomes Bethel again and again and again. It never stops becoming Bethel. It never stops. I'll tell you what, it'll, uh, Bethel will cease to be in this world when this world ceases to be. When the Lord uh, uh, folds it up and burns it up, then Bethel will cease to be. Why? Because we'll enter into a place that is truly the house of God. The everlasting, eternal place of all glory. But before, uh, until we get there, let us be about establish, establishing our altars, uh, our Bethels, if you will, or the altars of our Bethel, that we would uh, worship God in the way uh, that He uh, demands to be worshipped, uh, no matter how feeble our efforts might be. Because when Jesus Christ comes into our midst and sings, our praises are accepted by God in heaven. <laughs> Let it not be a doubt in your mind that when he's singing and when he's praying and when he's preaching, God is pleased with the establishment of his house that Jesus Christ set up in his ministry here. Abraham built this at Bethel. <coughs> if you want to think, 
Well, I'm not sure, Brother Mark. Maybe Abraham was perfect. You just keep reading in the 12th chapter. He makes a big boo-boo, right? I mean a big boo-boo. Well, anyway, anyway. <laughs> well, I could be said about that. Abraham was a sinner like you and I, but God bestowed faith in him just like he bestowed faith on you and I. And while we think in our lives, I couldn't do what Abraham did. Let me tell you, you could do what Abraham did if God bestows uh, that faith on you to the extent and that measure of grace to be able to do what Abraham did. I don't know if I could just, if the Lord says, I want you to get out of your father's house and go somewhere else to a place that I hadn't even been before. I don't know if I could do it. Let me tell you what, I'm pretty sure Abraham said, I'm happy and content where I am in the house of my father. And then the Lord says, get out. And he said, okay, I'm going. I'm going. And the same faith and grace that was bestowed upon Abraham is the same faith and grace that I believe is bestowed upon his children today. That when he says, go, we go. When he says, stand, we stand. When he says, sit, we sit. That we follow after him in a way of worship unlike anyone else in this world. All right, time's hastening on. We hadn't gotten to Hebron. Hebron's in the 13th chapter of the book of Genesis. And uh, again, Abraham established this altar. And it's probably next to Moriah for secular writers. The altar of peace is probably the best display or the best description of it. Because things got pretty bad between Abraham's servants and Lot's servants and their cattle and all. You remember all that? And finally they said, we need to split up. <clears throat> Unfortunately, Lot looked at the plains of Sodom. <laughs> and he saw that Sodom, the plains of Sodom was good. And he went over yonder. And you know what happened there and all of that. And I'm not going to get into that. And Abraham stayed where he was. I think that's an important aspect too. Lot went away. Abraham stayed where he was. You ever thought in your life, you know, uh, it just seems to be turmoil in the church. You know, we had something come up in conference today. One of the, those things, it's not easy for a church to, sometimes it's not easy, easy for a church to understand. Certainly not easy for the church to deal with. We don't, we don't enjoy, we don't enjoy removing fellowship from one of God's saints, even though we're charged to do that in a scriptural way. We don't enjoy that. We think, oh, you know, that just makes me uncomfortable and or maybe something even worse than that. Oh, I just don't feel at peace anymore. I need to go somewhere else. Well, be careful. You might end up where Lot ended up. That's right. In fact, I submit to you that if you go anywhere else, you're going to end up in a place like Lot ended up. You don't believe me? Go ask the son that asked for his inheritance and went away. And spent his uh, money on riotous living. And he ended up in a place like Lot. He was in the, in the pig pen, if you will, uh, with the hogs. And had, would feign to fill his belly with the husks that were for the swine. <coughs> but he came to himself. He came to himself. You ever thought about Abraham? You know, Abraham made return trips to these altars, right? He came back to these. It's not, not a whole lot that, that goes into that in the book of Genesis. But Abraham came back to these. And I wonder if he came back and he looked at it and thought, oh, I remember that. I remember building that. I remember how I felt when uh, I built that. I remember the experience that I had when I built that. Well, I tell you what, that man was out eating husk with a swine, and he came to himself, and the first thing he said, In my father's house. In my father's house, the servants 
I had I just went back to I went back to Bethel, didn't I? In my father's house, <coughs> the servants have it better than I do. <laughs> so I tell you what, I'm going to go back, but I'm not going to go back as a son. I'm going to go back and just say, let me be like a hired servant. I'm telling you what, you want to know attitude? <coughs> you you in this lesson, you get the wrong attitude at the beginning. And you get the right attitude at the end. And the right attitude is, oh, I'll go back as a servant. Oh, that I would be a doorman in the house of God. Just let me hold the door and stand outside and hear uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ proclaimed unto the saints of God. And that's more than I deserve, Brother Sonny, in my life. Uh, I haven't done anything to merit the grace of an almighty God when it comes to being a partaker uh, of uh, the house of God, to being a partaker of Bethel. Uh, that I don't even deserve to stand outside in here. I deserve to be far away from this place where my ears couldn't even hear what's being said. But God's mercy is great, is it not? His compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, uh, Jeremiah said. Oh, my friends, when that son came back, it says the father saw him afar off and ran and fell on him and kissed his neck. And when the son started rehearsing in the father's ears, everything, I imagine he was going back, wringing hands, thinking, I'm just going to be a servant. Just let me be a servant. And he gets there and he says, Father, I'm not worthy to be called a son. And the father says, enough. I don't want to hear anymore. Whether you feel worthy or not to be called a son, you are my son. You were my son when you lived in my house. You were my son while you're out there uh, in riotous living. You're my son walking back here. And when we get back up to the house, you're still my son. But the beauty is that my son that was lost and now is found. (coughs) My son who is dead but is alive again. In my father's house. (coughs) Hebron, Hebron, the altar of peace. Things had settled down. Things had settled down. So he built that altar at Hebron. And again, this altar, and I stand to be corrected, and I appreciate correction uh, if, the, if, if, if the need is there, but I don't believe Hebron's mentioned in the New Testament either. All right? Uh, I don't think Bethel and Hebron are mentioned in the New Testament um, I mean, obviously, they're still there geographically, but I think the the impact of Bethel and Hebron uh, are felt in the New Testament by virtue of the last altar, which is Moriah, and where the church is today, right? So, what's the significance of Hebron? Well... Well, I guess in verse chapter 13, verse 14, it says, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou uh, art northward, south, east, and westward, for all the land which thou seest, Uh, To thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. He's reminding Abraham, excuse me, he's reminding Abram. uh, His name hadn't been changed yet. He's reminding Abram that this is the land I'll give thee. This is after Lot left. Right? So Lot's over here doing his thing now, but Abram, 
I want you to look again. The reassurance that God provides his people is, is a direct display of God's mercy in the lives of the children of God. You look again. Oh, somebody's left. <clears throat> yeah, they've left. You know, they may come back like the son did, right? But until they do, we need to look north and south. East and West. We need to look and see what God has given us with regard to his church that we have today. So it strengthened Abram, right? I'm sure Abram was pretty upset. His nephew, you know, well, I don't know when I'll see him again. I don't know what's going to happen. We know everything that happened, but I don't know what's going to happen. God says, Abram, let me remind you. And I will make the seed as the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also, though that if a man can number the dust of the earth, <clears throat> then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abraham, then Abram, <laughs> I can't even read it right. Then Abram removed his tent <clears throat> and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord altar of peace. I think that's appropriate because I think Abram was a little bit unsettled by what had happened. Now, going back to that, have you ever felt unsettled by something that might have happened or maybe something that is happening? I exhort you to go to Hebron and see what God has given you. I exhort you to go to a place of peace. And remember, peace does not mean everything's great. Right? Peace does not... You don't achieve peace by thinking uh, everything's fine here, here, here. I don't think there's a place in my life that I'm in, in disturbed right now. Okay, I have peace. Mm -mm, that's not peace. You know what peace is? Peace is, is when the storms of life are raging around you. And the Lord says, peace be still. And he's not saying it to the storms. He's saying it to you. Peace be still. And then, then you realize in spite of everything that's happening. I know I say it a lot, but I believe it a lot. Everything's going to be alright. Everything's going to be alright. The pilot stands firm at the wheel. There's a place of peace, my friends, that we have. Yes, there's peace in the house of God. Don't get me wrong. And there's nothing better to come in and sit. I tell you what, sometimes the storms of my life are raging, Brother Mike, and I come in and plop down on the seat, and I don't feel like there's, I'm going to ever be able to get up again because so much is weighing down on me. And then the Lord delivers to me the peace that only He can give. And whether it's in the singing, or whether it's in the prayer, or whether it's in the preaching by uh, some uh, 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 blessed gospel minister, or whether it's in all of that, that I find that in spite of everything that's happening in my life, I have peace Amen. which passeth all understanding. I have peace that uh, knowledge, that carnal knowledge can't uh, subtract or add or divide or multiply. I've got peace that only God can provide. And he says, look around. Because what he's saying to Abram, Abram, look around. Stop, don't settle down. Settle down. I know Lot's gone. Lot will be all right. I'm going to take care of Lot. I need you to settle down and look around. Look around. 
Look around and see what I have blessed you with. Now, the now there's lots of mentions of Bethel and Shechem and Hebron and Moriah in the Old Testament, right? But there's one place in particular. So Abraham has his Moriah experience, right, in Genesis chapter 22. And wow, what an experience. The Lord Jesus Christ defines it as Abrahaming rejoice, Abraham rejoicing to see my day and saw it and was glad. That's how Jesus Christ defines Moriah. And it can't be defined or described any better than the words of our Savior. He rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. He saw it on Moriah. Paul brings it out again in the sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews. Surely blessing I will bless thee, multiplying I will multiply thee. In the book of Genesis, 22nd chapter, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and the sands of the shore. And it says that Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, which is interpreted in the mount <clears throat> the Lord has seen, or in the mount the Lord provides. The Lord provides. So that's the last altar. Last altar of Abraham. And I mean, you talk about a life's pinnacle. <laughs> you talk about a life's pinnacle. It, it, I don't think it could have got any more pinnacle than Abraham on Mount Moriah. I don't think he could have got any higher in this life. And it's really hard not to go to Romans chapter 4 right now and talk about Abraham's faith. Let's just suffice it this way. Two verses, Romans chapter 4. Who against hope believed in hope. And then he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He leaned into his hope. And I think Abraham leaned to his, into his hope more often than not, Brother Michael. I think in Egypt he leaned into his hope. I think he realized he'd made some mistakes. I think at uh, uh, Shechem he leaned, into his, and leaned, into his, leaned into his hope and built the altar. I think at Bethel he leaned into his hope built the altar. I think in, in Hebron he leaned to his, into his hope and built the altar. Uh, altar. When God said, you'll have a son through Sarah, I believe he leaned, to his, uh, uh, leaned into his hope and believed what God uh, told him. And when God said, take thy son, thine only son, thy son Isaac, thine only son whom thou lovest, go into the land of Moriah to a place that I will show thee and offer him up as a burnt offering unto me. I believe he leaned into his hope harder than he had leaned into his hope before when God asked him to do that. But I don't believe Abraham argued with God saying you got the wrong guy or you're making a big mistake or anything. I believe that just like the next verse says he made his preparation and verse 3 it says he and the lad and the servants went into Moriah. Leaning into his hope. You say, Brother Mark, sometimes I feel like I'm leaning into my hope so much that hope's going to be pulled out from under me and I'm going to fall. Hope won't do that to you. You'll do it to yourself. And we're not talking about a trust fall, right? You know what a trust fall is? They do it in business all the time. You couldn't pay me enough to do that with the people that I work with. And some of them may be watching. I might have just boo-booed right there. But you stand there and all these folks stand behind you and you're supposed to close your eyes and just fall back trusting that they'll catch you. I'm not going to do it. 
I don't trust him, Brother Larry. Leaning into hope is not a trust fall. It's not a question of if. It's not a, well, if, if. No, leaning into your hope is trusting in the Lord, and it'll, he'll never let you fall. Now, if you stop leaning and start walking away, you're going to fall. But if you keep leaning, you keep pressing, you keep being like Issachar that Moses described. He was couched down between two burdens, and he looked and saw that rest was good. And he bent his shoulder to bear. You know what he did? He didn't just say, oh, rest is so far away, I don't think I can get there. No, he saw rest was good, so he says, okay, let me really put my shoulder into this so I can get to that rest. That's leaning into your hope. Staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. If he staggered not uh, because of unbelief, then he must have not staggered because of belief. And belief is stemmed from faith. And so he was faithful to the one that is always faithful. Amen. He was faithful to him. So because of his faithfulness, he didn't stagger. Does that mean Abraham didn't make mistakes? We don't have time. Abraham made mistakes. Abraham was a sinner. He wasn't perfect. He didn't do everything right. You don't believe me? I got one word for you. Ishmael. All right. Now, Hebron. The next place you see Hebron is after Sarah dies. It's the next place you see it. You say, huh? Sarah dies. And Abraham goes to his kinfolk. I think this is, what, 23, 24, Genesis 24. And he's, basically he says, I want to buy a place to bury my dead. Um, and I think the, uh, they sold him a place that was called Mechpelah. I think that's what it's called, Mechpelah, which is the place of the matriarch, pa- place of the patriarchs, or something a whole lot simpler, a fold. Where was Mechpelah? It was in Hebron. And he bought the caves. I think there were 12 caves <clears throat> that he purchased to bury his dead. And the place was called the foal. We talked about Hebron being the altar of peace. Let me tell you something. When we're placed into the foal, when our bodies are placed into the foal, you know what that is? When our bodies are covered up. When our bodies are covered up. When this life comes to an end. And we go the way of all men and our bodies are covered up in that fold. Brother, Brother Webb preached about it this morning. There's no fear. <clears throat> There's no fear in those that have gone on. Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant. I, I want you to understand what's going on. Abraham didn't burn his dead. He buried right. his dead. Jesus Christ wasn't uh, burned when he died. He was buried when he died. And I submit to you that that body was placed into a fold. It's like pulling the covers over you, right? You go to bed. I would not have you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep. Why is it related to that? 
Why is the term sleep or asleep used with regard to those that have died? Certainly we're not talking about soul sleeping. You know what we're talking about? That body is as, is as one who is asleep. And the natural progression of things is when you go to sleep, at some point, you're going to wake up. It's shorter for us older ones and for you teenage folks. I don't know how you sleep as long as you sleep, but you wake up. Jesus Christ's body was in the grave for three days. That's all it took. That's all it took. Prophesied of, prophesied of of his own self, but that's all it took was that for that body being the grave for three days. Neither did he leave uh, his soul in hell nor suffer the, his holy one to see corruption. Amen, Brother Larry. Amen. And three days later, out from the fold he came. Out from the fold he came. Now, all those that have gone the way of all men, you know what's happened to them? They've been put into a fold. Their bodies have been covered up. And they are now at peace. You say, is the body at peace? You better believe the body's at peace. You go to the hospital and look at somebody that's struggling to take breaths, struggling to speak a word, struggling to, uh, uh, to do anything. And then... Uh, and then sin finishes its work in that body and they die and they exhale that last breath. You know what happens? That body is now at peace. But I got something better than that. That spirit and soul, they're now at perfect peace. They're at perfect peace. They've been folded in as well, if you will, into the heaven and immortal glory and the body's been folded into the grave. Well, I believe that Abraham believed just as he believed that Isaac would be raised from the dead by God who promised. I believe that he believed that all those that went into those caves in Machpelah that were put into that fold, I believe that Abraham believed they'll rise again. And it wasn't much longer that he was put in there next to Sarah himself in that grave. And I believe Abraham believed. I I'll live again, not by anything that he would do, but by the work of Jesus Christ. And I believe that Abraham believed because of his Moriah experience and he saw the deliverance of the Lord and he saw the day of Christ. And so now we go into the fold. <coughs> and we wait. And we wait. We don't know when. We don't know when it will happen. But we know it will happen. And if it happens before I go the way of all men, that will be alright. And if it happens after I go the way of all men, that will be alright. Because he will put my body into a fold and he will fold me into the family of heaven and immortal glory. And there my body is, will be at peace. And as the songwriter says, there shall I bathe my weary souls in seas of heavenly rest. And then we'll hear a shout. And you know what will happen? The folds, all the folds will open. And all the bodies of the saints will come out. And those that 
God will bring with him shall reunite spirit, soul, and body. When I believe that, Brother Larry, I believe that it doesn't matter how they died. It doesn't matter, matter where they died. It doesn't matter what their experience was in their life. That God will bring them back. And he'll not miss one small atom or molecule of the flesh body of the saints. But he'll bring them from wherever they are, from the east and the west. Sometimes I think when it talks about from the east and the west and the north and the south, it's not just talking about bringing the people of God, but it's bringing the body together. It may be scattered to the four winds, but he'll bring it together. He'll bring it together. Then body, soul, and spirit will enter into heaven and immortal glory. And then we'll experience perfect peace that we can't even begin to understand in the here and now. Uh, remember Brother Merle Ramsey? Oh, yes. I don't remember who, if it's your dad or my dad talking to him, and, he's, and they were saying, Brother Merle, there's coming a day. Merle Ramsey was a deacon of the church in Combs, Texas, way down there on the uh, Mexican border down South Texas. Y'all know that. Yeah. Well, I'm explaining it to y'all. Huh? Thank you. Okay. All right, there you go. Either Brother Hugh or, or my dad, or maybe they were tag teaming tag team him at that, that one point. Brother Merle, there's coming a day... And Brother Merle was a worry wart. He worried about, I think I worry a lot. I just think when I start thinking bad about my worries, I think of Brother Merle Ramsey, bless his heart. And like, well, I, he, I ain't got nothing on Merle when it comes to worry. I mean, he worried, worried, worried. And so they said, Brother Merle, there's coming a day. There's coming a day when the Lord of glory shall come with a shout and he'll, the, he will raise your body and fashion it like unto his glorious body and reunite soul and spirit with that body and into heaven you go and you'll never have another worry in all, for all eternity. And Brother Merle's response was, I just worry that's not right. <laughs> let me give you assurance today. Let me, let, me, let me back up. Let me, let me help the Lord show you that assurance today. There is coming a day of perfect peace. And whether you think it will happen to you or not, whether you believe it will or not, it's coming. It's coming. And that shout will be the beginning of eternal peace and rest. We're not going to have to be worried about anything down here anymore. We're not going to have to be like Abraham. We're not going to have to be like... Uh, Job, we're not going to have to be like uh, uh, David or Elijah or, or whoever we can mention. We're not going to be like them. I'm not going to have to be like myself, Brother Jeb, and worry about the times of my life when it seems like peace is so elusive to me. I'll enter into a perfect peace right alongside of you. That's right. And brothers and sisters, that is where all is peace and May he richly bless and keep you is my prayer. Come here.